Would you take your Bible with me this morning and turn to the, the book of Acts? The book of Acts. We're going to look at a, a, a relatively familiar passage and one that's pretty important for us as a church and has been historically important for the, the church. Acts 2, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. That's where we're going to be. That's what we're going to read. Um, this is a, a passage that, uh, that really set or maybe laid out a model for what it looks like to be the local church. And the early church uh, latched onto this passage and, uh, and spent a lot of time uh, thinking about what is communicated here once, once uh, as the church moved forward into the, 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 the centuries that came after um, the events that are recorded in Scripture. Uh, it, an incredibly important passage in the Reformation for what it looks like to gather as the, the local church and will continue to be important for us this morning as we think about um, how we as a church can live the gospel uh, and live it well. Acts 2.42 uh, through 47. I'm going to read this for us and then there's so much here, but we're just going to focus on one little element here that's contained in in this in this passage uh, in in particular, and that's fellowship. Uh, what does it mean to fellowship as the people of God? So let me read this for us, and then we'll we'll dive into considering all of these things together. Uh, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this is the third week in our, uh, in, our, uh, in our sermon series, considering what it looks like to live the gospel. After we're done with this, we're going to take six weeks here, and then we're going to go back to the gospel of John. But what I want you to do this morning is think with me back to the first couple of weeks in this, in this sermon series. So this morning we're talking about fellowshipping, and we'll unpack that for a moment here uh, uh, out of Acts chapter 2. But, but the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been talking about other Good news principles or principles that find their home, their roots in the gospel and can flow directly out of, out of the gospel. So uh, week one, two weeks ago, we talked about welcoming and welcoming as a, a good news principle. What does it look like to be welcoming people? And throughout this sermon series, we're going to explore these ideas and concepts and see that oftentimes the way that we use these words, especially within the context of the local church, is oftentimes uh, much less robust or maybe even dumbed down from the way that the Bible uses some of this terminology. Uh, and le- in week one, we explored welcoming, and it's much more than a smile and a handshake on a Sunday morning. It, it has a lot of, a lot of uh, thrust behind it. We see that word welcoming in the New Testament. Um, and our principle that we, we unpacked in week one was, if through Christ we have been welcomed into God's family, around his table into intimate relationship with him, then the proper response is to welcome one another similarly for the glory of God. And we pulled that directly out of Romans 15, 7. If you weren't here, read Romans 15, 7, and you will see uh, that idea right there. 
Last week, we talked about serving. And we talked about serving as being part of the identity of the Christian. If you say you're a Christian, then you're also saying, wrapped up in there, you're saying, uh, I am a servant. You're saying that uh, I exist to serve others in Christ in the way that God has uh, displayed uh, service uh, in Jesus coming to earth, condescending, taking the form of a servant. So serving then becomes much more than just a once-in-a-while activity. It becomes an all-of-life posture that we have as, as God's people and as part of the local church. Last week's principle was every Christian is called to put himself or herself in total subjection to others. Everything that God has given you, whether it be your time, treasure, or talent, is not for you, but is given to you to demonstrate love for God. And the way that we demonstrate love for God is by uh, using all the gifts that he gives to us to serve others at all times. This is the picture of serving that the New Testament paints for us. And so it should come no surprise to us if we're going to think about fellowshipping, even as uh, Acts 2, 42 through 47 lays it out for us, it should come no surprise to us that, uh, that uh, we typically think about it in, again, a less robust way than the New Testament talks about fellowship. Um, fellowshipping, um, I think, has become a little bit like just hanging out at church, right? Uh, we might say something like, join us for a meal after the service. Uh, there'll be fun in fellowship, right? We link fun and fellowship together. Um, and then the idea that we sort of have that pops into our minds is like people milling around in the church basement, exchanging pleasantries. That's where we would, that's how we would talk about fellowship. Um, if you grew up in the church, uh, you might even consider the basement of this church, the fellowship hall. And we often even refer to it that way. Now, what I want to say to you is there's nothing wrong with any of that. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Um, I'm just going to submit to you that that's sort of an incomplete view, that the way that the Bible talks about fellowship uh, is, uh, is much more robust and has a whole lot more substance behind it when we hear that term. So the extended principle that I want to give to you this morning uh, that flows out of Acts 2.42 uh, through 47 and, and the rest of the New Testament is this. Christians are called to fellowship first by devoting themselves to one another through the meeting of one another's needs and full acknowledgement that Jesus has met their greatest need. True fellowship is found in having God-given resources in common with brothers and sisters in Christ with the goal of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that's a lot of words. You see it on the screen. But if we boil it down a little bit more, uh, throughout the New Testament, the, uh, the connecting idea that, flow, or like, that brings the, all the instances of fellowship together in the New Testament is this. Uh, fellowship is having a stake or an, a share with someone in something. If, if we're going to just, that's base level. Fellowship is having a stake or a share with someone in something. The fellowship in the New Testament that the New Testament talks about is the local church. That's the someone in that. The local church uh, is the someone and the something is the gospel, is the, and the mission of the gospel to take it to the ends of the earth. That's the, uh, that's the, uh, the bottom line here. Fellowship for us 
throughout the New Testament, working itself out in us is having a stake or a share with others in the local church um, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Again, the idea of having a stake or a share in something is not always the language that we think of when we think of fellowshipping, um, but uh, it's very simple. It's just a simple idea. If you have shares in a publicly traded company, right, then you would say that you're invested there. Um, if, you, if you're playing a high-stakes game of poker, um, which I know we all do regularly, means that uh, you have a lot to gain, but you also could lose a lot. There's a lot to gain. There's a lot to lose. Uh, for the Christian, it's not about financial investment exclusively. It's about investing oneself. We're going to work this out later in our application section. But it's about investing oneself in one another. Because it's a full acknowledgement. Fellowship is a full acknowledgement that the gospel touches everything in our lives. It touches everything. There's not any part of our lives that it remains un touched by the truth of the gospel. So that's where we're going to start. That's where we're kind of headed this morning. Um, And I wanted to get those terms in front of you because as we work our way through Acts 2, 42 through 47, we're going to see a little bit more of uh, that idea um, perpetuated throughout this text. So uh, we want to apply this type of fellowship that we see here to our own lives. Before we move on, before we think about application, let's actually just think about the text itself. Um, Look at verse 42 with me. Uh, It just says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, that's just a list. It's a list of things that they devoted themselves to. Four things, we're going to highlight one. Um, Not that these other things are unimportant. Uh, We'll talk about it in a second, but... um, the idea of the fellowship here is, uh, is the one that we want to think about together this morning. Um, but before we even get to that list, look at the word they. It's the second word here, and they. Now, uh, this is a continued thought, right? Um, you're, if you're reading the ESV like I am this morning, you have a section break here, a heading. It says the fellowship of the believers, whatever. Ignore it. Go back up the page to verse 41, because we need to know who the they is. Who is the they who is going to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching of the fellowship, the breaking of the bread and the prayers? Who is that? Well, um, verse 41. So those who received his word, the his here is Peter. Peter just preached a sermon to a bunch of people. Um, Those who received Peter's word were baptized. They were added, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So this is a concrete group of people that we know about. Uh, The people who received the truth of the gospel through the sermon that Peter preached, uh, they received the word, and then they were baptized, and all of a sudden we have this explosive growth in the church in Jerusalem. This is the they in 242 then the group of people who are described as receiving the word and baptized in verse 41. And then as a result of that, there was immediately an outworking, right? And immediately an outworking, all of these people, all of these 3,000 people who just got saved uh, do four things. Well, they devote themselves to four things. Again, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. 
Now, this is a descriptive passage. We don't see any like explicit commands given here, but we do see a really good model, a really good understanding of what the church is to look like as the body of Christ and what we as a local church in Jamestown, North Dakota in 2021 ought to devote ourselves to uh, in response to the good news of the gospel working itself out in our lives like it did for those 3,000 people in Acts 2.41. So, uh, the model is this, to devote ourselves to, and I'm going to work towards fellowship. That's the second thing listed here, but I just want to briefly talk about the three others. So, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is good news because we can do so the same. We can do the same thing. We can devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. And what that means is just we're New Testament Christians. Uh, we look at the New Testament and we understand that the apostles taught that, uh, that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the scriptures that came before him. So it was word-centered. The, the apostles were teaching uh, the scriptures and then they were teaching the fulfillment of those scriptures which is found in Jesus Christ. Uh, the apostles' teaching was unashamedly Christ-centered, and it was word-centered. They weren't just teaching uh, something out here. It was focused on uh, the, the Old Testament and focused on how Jesus came. And the, the one that all of these men who were called apostles had encountered, had lived alongside with in his earthly ministry, and then, and then uh, w- encountered him as he, when he came back from the dead uh, in, the resurrected, in his resurrected body and lived on earth for 40 days. So th- this is the, the type of teaching that the apostles were. Now we get the benefit of doing that because we have the New Testament. This is, the New Testament is what the apostles were teaching uh, to the this group of 3,000 people in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, the third thing that's mentioned here, again, skipping fellowship and coming back to that, the third thing is the breaking of bread. And now this is likely a specific reference to the Lord's Supper. Um, now that looks different for the early church than it does for us. It's not juice and wafers and that cellophane thing that tastes like sawdust. But um, it is, in fact, uh, a meal. It is, in fact, uh, sit down around the table, participate in a meal like Jesus did on the, at the Last Supper and when he broke the bread and when he, uh, when he took the cup and when he proclaimed, or when we then, in response, proclaim his death until he returns. That's, again, likely. So the lines between the Lord's Supper and just gathering for a meal uh, aren't drawn as, as neatly as they are for us. Um, so the breaking of bread referred likely to the Lord's Supper specifically, but to all of that, being together around the table. And then it says that they devoted themselves to the prayers. Uh, there, this is a specific time of prayer. In Jewish life, um, all of these people who were saved here uh, are Jewish. Um, in Jewish life, there are specific times throughout the day that you would pray. You'd go to synagogue, you'd go to temple, um, and you would, you would pray specifically. The, uh, the early church didn't abandon these times of prayer. Rather, they integrated them into their, into their lives. Uh, they didn't see that they were doing anything different. They just saw that Jesus was the fulfillment of the scriptures um, and, and worked out that in their life the way that it was lived. There wasn't a radical change. 
they devoted themselves to the prayers by devoting themselves to time, time specifically together um, in prayer. Again, the focus this morning, I want to mention all of those things just to give you a snapshot. But the focus for us this morning is the devotion to the fellowship. Now, if you're looking at the ESV like I'm looking at the ESV, you see it translated the fellowship. If you have a different translation, you might just see the word fellowship. But I want to argue that we need the the. The the is important. The the is there for a purpose. Um, and, uh, and the reason why I think the the is important is because Luke had a specific fellowship in mind. He had a specific group of people in mind. If you refer to fellowship in general, um, if you wanted to, just omit the the, uh, but the the is there. <laughs> and the context suggests that it shouldn't be omitted. And it, what, that, that was all a tongue twister. Whatever, you're like, what are you talking about? Here's what I want you to hear. <laughs> this is what I want you to hear from what I just said. The fellowship that's described here that the early church devoted themselves to wasn't just an activity that they did, but it was a specific group of people with whom they shared common goals, values, and camaraderie. That is the fellowship. That is devoting themselves to the fellowship. Um, Lord of the Rings, uh, the first installment is called The Fellowship of the Ring, right? Um, and not because it was a group of people who casually exchanged pleasantries in Rivendell and then departed and went and did their own thing. You guys are looking at me like you're crazy. Um, but the, uh, the, the, they, they had a specific mission. They had a common goal. And it was to see the one ring destroyed before evil could take it back and wreak havoc on, on Middle-earth, right? So, like, this is the fellowship, a common goal, a camaraderie, a group of hobbits and elves and, and men and dwarves come together to destroy the thing that could destroy them. That's a big deal. That's the fellowship. That's a fellowship. It's a group of people who are moving towards a common goal and who find deep and abiding camaraderie around that goal. Fellowshipping means acting in such a way that promotes movement towards meeting a goal. So what is the goal for the early church then? And I said it a little while earlier, but I want to point this out because it's important. Because it's not different from us. It's, the goal that the early church had is not different from the goal that we have either. Um, the goal isn't constructed by us, but it's given to us by Jesus Christ. Uh, if, you, if you're looking at your Bible, go back one page, maybe one page. Go back one page to <clears throat> Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the theme for the book of Acts and what all this whole book is about. And Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, in verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that happens right at the beginning of chapter 2. Uh, you will receive whole, uh, the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you read the book of Acts, you see that this is progressively happening. 
throughout the whole book. And, and the Jerusalem part is here, what we're reading right now, this, this huge ingathering of 3,000 people who heard Peter's sermon and who responded with repentance and faith and baptism. That's what, that's what we see in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And so then all of a sudden we have uh, this movement of the gospel on the hearts of people. Um, but then the next step is Judea, the region, and then, and then Samaria to a group of people who weren't uh, Jewish by descent, but who were half Jews. And then to the ends of their earth, which is the rest of the, the Gentiles, uh, anyone else. The gospel goes to all of those people. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses uh, uh, and bear witness to what I have done uh, to the world. And so Acts 2, 42 through 47 is seeing the first stage of what Jesus says in Acts 1, 8. But that's the mission then, to be witnesses, to bear witness, to take the gospel all the way to the ends of the earth. And again, Jesus says this right before he ascends into heaven. Uh, The local church, that's you and me, we're made up of a group of people who have a common goal. And that's to do, to bear witness, to declare, to proclaim the gospel And take it to the ends of the earth. Jesus meets our greatest need. Our need to have our sin paid for. In order that we might be made right with God. And then we are charged to take the message to everyone else. Therefore, we have a share. We have a stake. We are invested. We are invested in what God is doing by uh, in in uh, in commanding us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. If apart from the gospel of Jesus, we would perish eternally, there's pretty high stakes. And anyone apart from the gospel perishes eternally. That makes this high stakes. This is a a big share that we have. And if God has charged us, the church, with taking the gospel of the world, it is a big share. It represents a huge investment. Could we say that it even uh, requires or represents a huge investment of all that we are? So this is what fellowship is built on. This is what I want you to see. This is what fellowship is built on. Uh, and and why it's vital to living the gospel. So, but the next thing I want you to see here is how this fellowship and the early church devoting themselves to the four things listed in 242 how that actually works itself out. Because I think it's different than the way that we would think. Because we'd be like, okay, like get a team together, get get a mission strategy going, and then we'll go out and do it, right? But the way that they're described as acting immediately is quite different from that. How does it work itself out? Look at verses 44 and 45. These two verses specifically describe the fellowship. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, there's a lot of alls in there. Um, And I want to point that out because that's important. The alls uh, mean that, uh, that it's everyone who was made up in that, 3,000 people, right? Um, 
all who believed, again, referring back to those 3,000 people who are making up the church of Jerusalem, they had all things in common. Um, This is a direct outworking of the fellowship. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all, again, made up within that group described in 241, to all as any had need. Now, this is voluntary action. This is not coerced. The apostles weren't saying, do this or you can't be a Christian. That's not what happens. This is not advocating for socialism. It's not advocating for communism. And anyone who tells you that is off their rocker. But verse 46 says this activity in this passage was done then with glad and generous hearts. It's, it's, it comes out of an overflow of an understanding of the gospel and how the gospel is going to go forward into the world. And the fellowship of the early church saw uh, that they saw that they had a share in the gospel and taking it to the ends of the earth. And that meant that they had a share in the lives of one another. Now, again, that may seem strange because I think what we oftentimes do is we kind of parse things out. Uh, in the modern church, we talk, talk about we talk about taking the gospel to the world as we talk about admissions and we talk about it as evangelism. Um, those are the terms that we use for those things. Those are good terms. Um, but then we talk about what happens within the local church as uh, like building community or discipleship. Um, but I want to suggest to you that those categories don't exist for this group of people. There's not an inside-outside dichotomy here. It's all one mission. It's all one goal that they have. The goal is to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the way that they begin by doing that is ensuring that the needs of the, those who are within the church is met, are met. And it becomes all part of the Christian life. It's not in here, out there focus. It's not, I've got a passion for reaching the lost and you have a passion for growing Christian maturity and those put us at odds with each other somehow. But rather, these things are all part of the Christian life. The, the way that the men and women of the early church shared in the gospel and the mission to take it to the ends of the earth was to do the four things listed in 2.42, in Acts 2.42. Meeting the needs of one another within the church is not separate from taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's not. It's not. It's not. Because living the gospel isn't broken out into neat little compartments. Through commitment to the list, the apostles teaching fellowship, breaking bread and prayers, the, they have or what, ha- what winds up happening is what is described in 247. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Because there was such a, an incredible outworking of what it meant to live in light of this, this, the greatest gift ever conceived of. All of a sudden, people were looking at it from the outside and saying, that's incredible. The gospel can be taken to the world through our financial support of missionaries and church planters. And at Buffalo City Church, we want to be doing that. We want to be generous in those spheres. It can be taken to the ends of the earth by planning an outreach event or, or, uh, or serving the community in your community group. And 
the gospel can be taken to the world through simple obedience to see the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ and work to meet those needs. And so this becomes the nature of fellowship. It's not an in there, in, out there, in here type conversation, but it's a camaraderie built around a common goal, a common mission given to us in the New Testament. So the question then becomes is, so what? How can we, Buffalo City Church, how can we be marked by true biblical fellowship? I'm just going to give you three simple ways, three simple ways this morning that we as a church can be marked by true biblical fellowship. Um, the first, and I mentioned this last week, but I want to continue mentioning it because I think it's important. Uh, if, if you consider Buffalo City Church your ho- home, I would, I would say it's time. Now it's time to commit yourself to this body in formal membership. The first way to do this The first way to be marked by true biblical fellowship is to live as those who are individually members of one another. I'm just, I'm using the language that Paul uses in Romans 12, 5, when he says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, why does this matter? Why why would I continue to bring this up? Why does church membership matter? Uh, Well, church membership matters because it clarifies that you are about the mission here to make disciples. That Acts 1.8 is a mandate given to the apostles in the New Testament, but it's also the mandate given to us. And to live in fellowship with one another is to work towards that common goal. It, It clarifies that you are about being a servant and that you're not committed to watching other people languish uh, when hardship strikes. Uh, church membership has been reduced in our world to, um, to a country club, right? You pay your dues, you dress the dress, you walk the walk, and you have, you have resources, you fit into a particular status. But here in the local church, we have nothing like that. We don't have anything. like There's no dress code. We don't have uh, what it takes to be part of that. We have no worldly status to speak of. We have no dues to pay. And we don't glory in our strength, but we glory in our weakness. This is very different than the world thinks about membership of something. I know that there are objections to this. But, but again, we believe as a church, Romans 12.5, so though many are, uh, we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Uh, this commitment represents accountability. It represents an accountability to live like a Christian is called to live. And, and friends, I'm, I'm convinced that North American churches are closing their doors in droves. Well, they are. The data is there. But the reason I'm convinced that this is happening is because people don't formally commit to one another. It's not because they fail to reach the next generation. That's a symptom. That's a symptom of a larger problem. Because Romans 12.5 is in our Bibles and we've chosen to ignore it. We, we don't commit to one another out of duty, but because hearts that are knit together in love and a display of unity are, can work together in ways that wayward hearts cannot. And this type of unity, this unity that comes through pledging ourselves to one another in church membership, 
isn't meant to be coerced. This is not a coercive moment. But it's meant to be a response to God's love and display of commitment to us. That even when we were his enemies, even when we said that he, he meant nothing to us, he sent his son to die for us. God is exceedingly generous in this. He did not spare his own son, and we cannot uh, even begin to scratch the surface of that level of commitment. And it's not commitment that comes because the ones to whom we're committing are worthy of it. Uh, you're not worthy of my commitment to you, and I'm not of you. But, but because Jesus Christ is worthy. Because he is the one who calls us to commit to one another, and he is infinitely worthy. And by committing to one another in the local church, we commit to Jesus Christ. Uh, the second thing that I want to suggest to you this morning, uh, the, the outworking of, of this, what it looks to be marked by true biblical fellowship, is, uh, is to bring in the full tithe. Now, let me explain that. Um, in Malachi 3.10, this is just comes directly out of that text. In Malachi 3.10, God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Acts 2, 42-47 is the direct, or is a direct fulfillment of this verse. This is what it looks like when the full tithe is brought in. And in the Old Testament, uh, the old, uh, tithe means roughly a tenth. And it's referring to the giving of crops and of first fruits of labor, uh, in uh, uh, giving it to God in a sacrificial manner. But usually in modern Christianity, when we talk about the tithe, we're talking about finances. We're talking about financial resources. But the picture here in the New Testament is the idea of giving and generosity in a sacrificial and selfless way. And, and again, I'm convinced that the fullest expression of what is communicated in Acts 2, 42 through 47 is devotion by the people of God to the word of God, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. We don't bring in the full tithe by dropping a check in the box, but when we present all that we are and all that we've been given as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, this, Paul says in Romans 12.1, is our spiritual worship. This is what it means to bring in the full tithe. All that we have, all that we are, brought to God's people. Because Jesus doesn't build his church through donations. Jesus builds his church through devoted disciples. He builds his church by raising up faithful men and women who, in response to the gospel, pour out their lives and their gifts and their resources in service to one another through love. These are men and women who love because they were loved despite being unlovely. These are men and women who sacrifice because sacrifice was made for them despite being unworthy. These are men and women who stand shoulder to shoulder with one another because when they were orphaned, Jesus bled and made them brothers and sisters. Through this love, through this sacrifice, through this commonality, we have fellowship between us and God, between us and one another. Through the gospel, we together have a share in eternity 
and in Christ's mission. The last thing I would say, a way to be marked by uh, true biblical fellowship is to uh, look at verse 46 uh, and get a glad and generous heart. Now, that sounds like get a glad and generous heart, but what I'm saying here is uh, that it's possible for you to have a glad and generous heart. When you ask someone the question, how are you doing? Uh, the first answer, probably most common, is good. I'm good. And then you move on, right? Uh, the next answer is likely something along the lines of busy or tired or uh, life is crazy right now. Um, and those things are probably true of all of us in this, in this room. Um, our lives are marked by busyness, exhaustion, chaos. But even when our lives are marked by those things, uh, a glad and generous heart is possible. A glad and generous heart is possible. And these people in Acts 2, 42 through 47 had a huge range of backgrounds and current circumstances. Uh, maybe 60 people in this room this morning. Um, you all have encountered radically different things throughout the course of your week. If this 3,000 people came together, think about the diversity of their week, their backgrounds, their upbringings. Uh, what happened within an hour of them being together and doing the things that are listed here? Um, they no doubt had, had, there were people in their midst who had lost a loved one within the last week. There, there were no doubt people who had been sinned against even within the last several hours. There were people who had money problems. There were people who, who struggled with anxiety. Pick a thing. But their fellowship was so great. There was such an overflow of response to the gospel. The share that they had with one another in the gospel was so great that this group of people were described as having glad and generous hearts. In all that they received, even as simply, something simple as their food, and all that they were doing as simple as heading to congregational worship at the temple, it was all done in a spirit of gladness and generosity. And I personally, I, I want that. <laughs> I want, I don't, what's the opposite? A stingy and grumpy heart? I don't want that. Um, I, I want to be marked with gladness and generosity. And that's what this gives us. Because how does it happen? And it happens by being devoted to the things that they were devoted to in Acts 2.42. The, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the sharing of the gospel with one another, to the devotion to eating together, the Lord's Supper and otherwise. And being devoted to prayer. Friends, we have a share in, and our fellowship is in the greatest, the greatest treasure. The good news of Jesus Christ. So may we as a church respond selflessly and sacrificially, meeting the needs of one another, demonstrating that God has met our greatest need. And may we find deep and unwavering camaraderie with brothers and sisters in Christ here at Buffalo City Church we're called to and have the same goal of taking the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you this morning for the truth that we find here. God, we thank you that we have a share in eternity, that you have given us a stake God, may we be deeply invested. God, may we see 
that the fellowship that we have here in this place is with the common goal of taking the only message that can result in a life eternal and life abundant to the ends of the earth. God, cause us to be a people who see these things very clearly this week and live according to them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.